0: Hi, everyone. Just a quick message before we start today's episode. Join us on May 14th for ATS 2021, our annual conference that showcases the latest research and innovations in respiratory medicine. Discover breakthroughs in science, medicine, and patient care. Register now at conference.thoracic.org. This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe.
1: Welcome everyone to the latest episode of Scholarly, the podcast brought to you by the ATS Scholar Journal and the ATS Section on Medical Education. I'm your podcaster, Deepa Pradhan, a pulmonary critical care attending at New York University and Associate Program Director there. And today I'll be interviewing Dr. Matthew Drake and Dr. Laura Crady alexander on the recent ATS Scholar research article entitled Development of a National Academic Bootcamp to Improve Fellowship Readiness. Both are hailing to us today from the West Coast. Dr. Matthew Drake is an assistant professor and associate program director in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care at Oregon Health and Science University. And Dr. Laura Crotty-Alexander is an associate professor of medicine in the Division of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep at the University of California at San Diego and the section in chief for pulmonary at the VA San Diego Healthcare System. Matt and Laura, welcome.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: All right, so let's let's dive right in. First question, and uh, I'll start by posing this to Laura. So, what was the impetus, the need for a national boot camp for residents transitioning into pulmonary critical care fellowship? What brought on this endeavor?
2: It really came about because uh, we had noticed that across the country, boot camps were popping up at different institutions, and that residents really found them appealing. And fellows who got to go through the boot camp right before starting Pulmonary Critical Care Fellowship felt a little bit more confident uh, in starting fellowship, more confident taking care of these critically ill patients and doing these procedures. Another aspect is that pulmonary critical care requires a lot of procedures. And with the changing of the work hours for residents, um, we were seeing that each year residents. From you know, some programs were entering fellowships with very few procedures. And we felt like developing a boot camp where we could really help their skill set get buffed up prior to fellowship starting might be um, a good way to go. Um, another aspect is residency programs are very different. So there are residency programs that are really big and they have a lot of infrastructure to do some hardcore teaching. And so residents coming out of some of those programs, you know, had a lot more tools in their toolbox compared to some residents coming out of smaller programs or more community based. And so another facet of developing this boot camp was to try and help level the playing field and help these residents have, you know, all the tools they need to be successful on day one of fellowship.
1: Great point. So I'm hearing issues of, you know, especially for pulmonary critical care, you need to be able to do things on day one, right? There's not a whole lot of sitting around and being gently brought into things. You're kind of in the deep end of of the water. And so increasing their kind of procedural acumen, their confidence, and then also, as you said, standardizing or leveling the playing field.
2: Yeah, and so a big focus was really on anxiety was that if we could help these residents becoming fellows feel more confident and have less anxiety as they start fellowship, that maybe we would be setting them up for success. And then that sort of made me think of one other thing that we really have benefited out of this sort of national level boot camp was the networking. So these, you know, residents becoming fellows, they get to meet all these other people of exactly their level who they're gonna be, you know, uh, colleagues with for decades to come. And then on the med ed side of things, bringing together educators from across uh, the nation and even the world. And, you know, these educators who love teaching pulmonary critical care and they get together and see each other, you know, at the boot camp. So those are other facets that have really worked out well.
1: That's, that's fantastic, and I'm definitely going to unpack some of that as, as we go on uh, throughout this, this podcast. Uh, so, you know, you guys came up with this fantastic idea, and I guess the question for most people who are out there as educators is that they come up with great ideas, but then how do you actually put it into practice? How do you make it a reality? Where do you start? And so can you tell us a little bit about the initial process that was utilized for the design of the curriculum?
2: So I came up with the initial idea and I remember these uh, people with a lot of experience in seeing like a really good idea that then just nothing happens with versus a good idea that really gets taken forward and to fruition. And I had multiple people say, this is your baby. You're in charge of it. If you don't like put your heart and soul into this, it's never gonna happen. Um, so that was like part of it. It's just like really taking on a project that you're passionate about and that's the way to get something you know, done that you really feel strongly about. That being said, I also had a couple of like powerhouse medical educators. So Dr. Jennifer McAllister and Dr. Trish Critic, and you know, they are so experienced in curriculum development um, and design. And they really helped in saying, okay, you think this is a good idea? First, we need to do a needs assessment. So they were like, we need to reach out to all of the pulmonary critical care fellowship program directors and ask them their opinion of what the fellows need on day one. And if they're noticing things that there's deficiencies in that could be helped through a national platform. So those were like some of the big things that happened. And outside of that, the ATS you know, really took this to heart and they really wanna train you know, the next generation of physicians, the next generation of scientists. And so they really invested in this project and put thousands of dollars into it because you know, they wanted to help these young people get you know, better training.
0: You can't uh, you know, overstate uh, just what a big lift it was to get it off the ground. And uh, the, the willpower, uh, the sheer willpower of these three outstanding educators to get it started back in 2014 is uh, really commendable.
1: Yeah, I I remember when it uh, when it started. And so I mean, a lot a lot of interesting things you said is that one is that you don't have to do it by yourself, right? Is that utilizing people who are senior who have a medical education background to help you, you know, formulate things. So you're and then also moving through it with a process, right? So not just moving kind of haphazardly, you, you started with a needs assessment to be, better understand what the actual deficiencies were. And then you can go to, you know, so it's like step by step approach that I think is very important for, you know, educators who are out there. And of course, you talked about doing something that you're passionate about, you know, is another important thing.
2: Exactly. And I would say that, yeah, just like 30 minutes per month with, you know, these senior like powerhouse educators, like could really completely change directions on some aspects. So I agree with both of you, like really taking advantage of people with expertise uh, in a particular area can just, you know, end up uh, generating a much better product in the end.
1: Great. And so Matt, I'm going to turn it to you. And so ultimately, what were the components of the uh, created curriculum generally? what did you guys decide on?
0: Yeah, so uh, you know, to be clear, they, um, uh, the the curriculum as they started to hone this list based on the needs assessment, really became clear that there were uh, you know skills that were going to be well taught in kind of a hands-on simulation type setting, uh, as well as some of the more cognitive uh, related topics uh, that really felt fit, fit well into a large group or a small group situation, and so the day ultimately. Broken down into those three kind of overarching educational structures, a hands-on component, a large group uh, structure, as well as a small group kind of breakout session. Uh, you know, the the, the bootcamp launched back in 2014, and so one of the big things that that's uh, been interesting about the development of this is just the evolution of the curriculum over that time. When you, we look at the hands-on sessions, those really focus on procedural skills, things like bronchoscopy, Mechanical ventilation, managing difficult airways. And those topics, as you might imagine, have actually been pretty consistent over the years. That that curriculum uh, uh, you know, we've we've adapted the, the, the fidelity of it. They remain really high fidelity. In many cases, we're using airway mannequins or, or even paid actors to serve as standardized patients. Um, but those those have been a very popular component of the program and have been pretty consistent uh, since, the, since the initiation of it. Uh, you know, in terms of the large group and small group sessions, those have uh, evolved a little bit more in in terms of their focus. So when we started this uh, boot camp back in uh, 2014, there was an emphasis on physiology, which has certainly remained, but there are also some overarching topics um, that apply more broadly in medicine, things like professionalism, uh, how to find a mentor. And we've seen over the years that we've we've kind of honed those down as well. And now uh, our large group sessions, which initially were um, more of a lecture style format, in of themselves have become more case-based and more breakout within a large section to really maximize active learning. We focus on things like, uh, you know, really kind of actionable things for fellows on day one of fellowship. What do they need to know? Things like, what are kind of the common pulmonary consults they're gonna deal with? What are top five ICU emergencies that they might wanna be prepared to deal with? Um, in terms of the small group breakout as well, those, that, that format allows Uh, quite a bit of interaction between uh, an individual educator and somewhere between four and eight uh, uh, incoming fellows and those topics most recently have focused on things like interpreting pfts uh, uh, how to uh, assess an ECMO circuit and manage it uh, pulmonary physiology and well as well as a really popular section called equipment gadgets and gear uh, that uh, allows uh, incoming fellows to see all sorts of uh, devices related to the profession entering so Uh, The the structure of that day allows, uh, you know, a variety of different active learning uh, elements, uh, as well as just a really highly interactive and diverse uh, set of sessions.
1: Now, uh, you know, as you speak about this, I know everybody who learned without the, the boot camp, uh, you know, they're pretty jealous, you know, me included. I mean, this sounds like such, right. How many of us would have loved to have gone through such a program, right. <laughs> you know, for, as a transition from our residency to, to our fellowship. And it's so, it's so thoughtful uh, in terms of, you have things that are more procedurally relevant, uh, kind of to build on what Laura was saying is some of that procedural acumen that you needed to achieve. And so that's kind of your, uh, kind of your hands-on sessions and it's interesting you mentioned some areas with the large groups that are more life skill you know that for that are going to be from longer term and then it seems like you've kind of moved with iterative design to areas more case-based and and kind of other other topical areas and then definitely a focus on things that they need to know specifically on in on day one because they you know 30 that should hopefully be encompassed by your fellowship program (laughs) so wow very cool now you kind of alluded to it in terms of the you know active learning strategies you were kind of mentioning and so obviously there were a lot of educators that were were involved in this and I'm just wondering how exactly were you leveraging you know if you can go into a little bit more detail about the ways that you were leveraging kind of active learning and adult strategies for learning
0: yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's really been a cornerstone of the camp since day one and, and, and a focus every year as we're uh, approaching our curriculum redesign It's really uh, focusing on kind of maximizing learner engagement um, uh, through a variety of techniques, you know, whether that's things like think pair share or uh, just again, in, you know, using really high fidelity simulation where learners are actually interacting with each other and, and uh, learning from each other's techniques while it's being overseen by faculty member those sorts of core elements are really the 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 basic structure that we build each of the sessions around um you know i I think the uh um the the fact that uh it was we initiated boot camp when we initiated boot camp there was still a a limited number of kind of lecture-based formats and i think as all of us who have attended lectures over the years realize that's a really kind of unidirectional transaction of information. And so we've uh, in recent years have completely done away with any of the lecture formats. Um, and, uh, and so that's really allowed us now to, to make this all elements of the day, uh, really, really interactive. Um, the, the other element of course, is that we have a lot of learners. And so that's been one of the, you know, u- unique challenges I think, to our campus, uh, you know we have well over 100 learners and well over 100 medical educators and thinking about how to break those large groups even with when you've got you know kind of half half the group in one session how do you break those up into smaller uh, pods that allow people to interact um, and kind of maximize the, their engagement within a smaller group and then bring it back to a larger group so there's a variety of techniques there um, that, that again you know try and keep people really engaged throughout the day. And, you know hopefully learning from each other as well as from from the educator who's kind of leading their session
2: i totally agree and i actually think that you know one of the best parts of the boot camp has been um really uh, getting these educators down to smaller groups so we have like you know educators that are specifically focused on like cardiac ultrasound and we have that group that small group meet together before the boot camp and then the morning of the boot camp to run through what they're going to do And they're often will come up with new things like, oh, can we get whiteboards? You know, can we get this? Can we get that? And then the ATS has been like fantastic and just like finding these things and getting them to the educators. Um, So really trying to let the educators guide um, the strategies too, as they're like, you know, boots on the ground, you know, what's going to work best for a particular type of session. I really enjoyed seeing that happen.
0: Yeah, that's been one of the kind of remarkable things about the development of this is just how talented uh, all our colleagues are across the country and to see this huge group of talented educators come together and kind of add new ideas. Every year, new ideas are being incorporated. What could have been better? Oh, I've got this great idea on how we could modify content and delivery for this topic. And and so that's been really just one of the best parts about it is working with just all these outstanding folks and, and seeing them every year at ATS and learning from them.
2: So even though it's like this huge monster of a program with like all these moving parts, like it's also this like really beautiful organic nature to it where this like evolution is happening and it's really like starting with like one or two people or four people or eight people and that that like percolates through and like really causes real change every year.
1: This is fantastic. Uh, You know, so much of this resonates uh, so much with me. You know, I'm thinking about how Oftentimes, when we think about active learning strategies, we say, "Okay, we got to get away from lecture." But then, what else do we have? Uh, flip classroom—that's <laughs> it. But I mean, this is fantastic because you're showing a repertoire of different options in terms of how you engage learners, and and more than just flip classroom uh, approaches. And so, I, I think. You know, and also this concept of how do you teach a large group? Even when you break up the group and you have that 50 people who are now in a room, how do you engage all of them? And the ability to break up that subgroup into even further groups uh, in, in a uh, controlled way. And also empowering the teachers, as you're kind of alluding to, is empowering them to be able to be innovative in their teaching strategies as well uh, is just fantastic. Um, I actually, I taught there for the lung ultrasound stuff for the first couple of years as an instructor. And it's just, I mean, the the educators, it's just a fantastic environment. Everybody comes together and, and teaches in. And so I guess that's my next question to you, Matt, is just, you know, who were these these teachers for these sessions? And I'm really interested in the, to hear if you are utilizing current pulmonary critical care fellows as uh, teachers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, our, you know, our educators come from you know, all over the country as well as internationally, um, there's a, a, a call annually for people to volunteer, and we invariably get a huge number of volunteers, more than we can actually accommodate at any given boot camp. Um, our goal is to every year have some, you know, some percentage, maybe half, to, uh, half of our attendees uh, uh, who have uh, taught previously, uh, but also mixing in new people every year. And so we really try and prioritize if we didn't get you if we weren't able to incorporate you last year we'd we'd really like to try and get you in this year um it you know it reflects a a variety of training environments uh they come from people come from all sorts of uh medical settings educational settings and so again it really has a diversity of different ideas uh and skill sets that people bring and as you mentioned i mean you know some folks will come in and say i'm you know i have a real interest and expertise in cardiac ultrasound that's fantastic. We, we definitely will try and pair uh, people of particular expertise uh, into a session that really uh, serves them well. So we're also kind of you know, really trying to streamline that process, but you're right. The other element of this is that we do have fellows, current fellows are able to volunteer and be a part of this. And we've expanded the number of fellows who have been involved in the educational side. And you know that's been really a fantastic and, and fun part of this is, is a faculty member being paired with a fellow both of whom are teaching a given session allows fellows to, uh, you know, expand their educational uh, expertise, but also get real-time feedback from the faculty they're working with, um, and so that you know, creating these multiple uh, levels of, of people in their med-, med Ed careers has been really a fun part of uh, developing our our uh, cohort of tr- uh, teachers here. And I think yeah.
2: one additional thing, like. I think from giving feedback to the fellows, uh, the idea stemmed from there that we should be evaluating our faculty and offering them an opportunity to get Feedback on their own teaching. And so that was added in the last time we were able to do it in person. Um, and the educators had actually been asking for it for a couple of years, and we had just, you know, been trying to figure out how to do it, to have another faculty member come in and observe them and have a forum and like give them, you know, really succinct um, feedback. Um, but it's just great to see like the amazing energy of the fellows and the faculty, they love to teach, they're so excited to be there and that they want feedback, they wanna get better every single time. And then when I get emails from faculty who got turned down and they say, did I do something wrong? Like, do you not like me anymore? And I'm like, no, it's just, we have so many people who wanna teach and we try and give people you know, a chance to do it who haven't.
1: Yeah, no, uh, it's exactly, it's a fantastic learning and teaching environment uh, to be working in. And, you know, I brought up the the fellows partially because uh, I'm all, I'm, I'm personally very interested in this area. So I'm doing my, I'm doing a master's in education and my thesis is on near peer education. And so for me to be able to see fellows teaching residents, you know, it has so many benefits every which way, you know, for the, the learners, you know, the fellows have just recently become competent in that area. So they really remember those little micro steps by which they became competent and can elaborate that uh, to to the trainees essentially. And then for the learners also, it decreases some of that social uh, stigma of of making mistakes, asking questions in front of somebody who's less senior. And then, obviously, for the fellows, as as Matt you were you were talking about, is that it really creates this um, identity formation of them as educators and teachers, you know, working hand in hand with people who are doing that, especially at a national stage. Um, yeah, so great teaching environment. Now, you know, you kind of uh, detailed, you know, the uh, the different sub parts to this. You know, the hands-on simulations, large group interactive sessions, small uh, small group breakout sessions as well. Um, Laura, I was wondering if you could talk about kind of the, uh, you know, the learners side of things. Of how were how the learners chosen for, for the bootcamp?
2: Well, it was really easy in the first year because we were able to take all 42, I think, who applied. And we actually had like 60 faculty. So it was a really funny year that way. Mm-hmm but uh, thereafter the number of applicants were far out exceeded the number that we were able to take. And so every year since then we've had to run a lottery. Um, We wanted to make it equitable. Um, So originally it was just a random lottery. Uh, If you got in, you got in. And then um, each uh, boot camp chair would actually look at the list and try and make it sure that there was uh, equal numbers of men and women. Um, So we actually needed to get more uh, information from the applicants because we realized that just asking for their email address was not sufficient in trying to make sure that things were fair. And so currently now we try and make sure that at least one applicant from every uh, fellowship program who's going into a certain fellowship program gets to come with the idea that when they then join their fellowship class, they can share some of the information that they um, got at the boot camp, and I know that we're about to get to this, but that was actually the incentive for starting the virtual boot camp. Was that each year it was so depressing to have to send an email to 100, 200 of these residents about to start fellowship and tell them that we couldn't offer them a place in the boot camp, and so that's actually was why we created the virtual boot camp because we wanted to have something to offer these residents who, you know, they're anxious about fellowship, they want to learn more, they want to get these skills, they want to be a little bit better before they start uh, fellowship on day one. And so that's where the, the virtual boot camp came from.
1: No, that's a, you know, it's a great reason to have have that. And I'm sure that now in this new age of remote learning and beyond, it has even more applicability going forward.
2: I have to say, the timing was creepily weird, you know, in a good way. That we had run the boot camp um, as a pilot, but then we decided to run it one more year as a pilot before, like, doing a full on version of it. So we had had a couple of years of practice with the virtual boot camp. We had built some content, we had recordings from a couple of years that we were preparing to use, um, and then the pandemic hit. And then it was suddenly like, oh, uh, I guess the virtual bootcamp is now the bootcamp. Uh, <laughs> so it's nice because we had talked about it for a couple of years and we had built up some content, we had a library of stuff. And so we were able to sort of take those experiences and then generate this new version of the virtual bootcamp for everyone. Um, but again like breaking it down into smaller groups which uh, originally we hadn't done. So originally the virtual boot camp was really one teacher with anybody who logged on so it was more of a large classroom format Um, but then in the setting of the pandemic uh, we took all of our educators and sort of assigned them to their uh, areas of expertise so we did a combo usually two-hour sessions where we'd have um a lecture so to speak for hopefully 15 to 45 minutes and then we would divide the residents out into the number of small groups that we had a faculty for so that they could have like an hour or two of like working through cases and having you know sort of a small group um classroom setting Um, and so clearly that's what we're going to be doing moving forward (laughs) this year
1: (laughs) Yeah, very, very timely, very necessary. And uh, and obviously, inc- I think, you know, and again, all these modalities that we're using for remote and asynchronous types of, of learning, I think are, are you know, the more we're investing in that, I think we're going to be able to take that even down the road, even when the pandemic and everything is is, uh, is done and we're actually back to meeting and conferences together, I still think it's going to have incredible uh, applicability, yeah.
2: I agree. And I, we had you know, always thought of ways that we could use our educator base to, you know, teach more people. And that's been one of the cool things about seeing the evolution of the virtual boot camp. It's like, oh, we don't have to run it at the time of the International ATS Conference. Um, And so I think you're absolutely right that our experiences in 2020 and 2021 um, will help us so that when we are able to teach people again in person we'll be still be running a separate v- virtual boot camp probably you know a month or even two months separate from the in- person so that we can really do a good job and use you know the educators uh, and their skill set to our you know the advantage of the learners
1: awesome um, Matt I'm going to turn to you now uh, so you wrote a paper so that means you have results. <laughs> <laughs> that that have been peer reviewed. And, uh, you know, so I want to hear about them. You guys did all this hard work. And so I want to hear what were the actual findings from all these learner assessments and course evaluations and so forth.
0: Yeah. And I I want to be clear. I want to say thank you in particular to May Lee and Anna Brady, two of our colleagues who put a lot of time into developing the learner assessments. Uh, We, we, you know, felt like we were having a, a big impact based on uh, kind of qualitative uh, analyses of our early attendees and our and our educators and uh, May and Anna in the last couple of years have really developed some quantitative tools for looking in that at that. One of the main things that was done was creating a pre-test and a post-test, really knowledge-based assessments to see uh, where where the baseline was before boot camp and then in the in the short term afterwards, what was there a, a, a any change in. Uh, people's uh, uh, knowledge base related to some of the core kind of pulmonary and critical care concepts that were discussed at boot camp and so we did see a significant increase uh, in in post-test results um, in our attendees suggesting at least in the short term that we were having an impact on uh, trainee knowledge base. Now you know how long that is sustained it we haven't looked at longer time points as of yet but I would say that the boot camp is really only a month or two before fellowship starts and so we, you know, we're optimistic that these uh, effects we're having uh, on learner knowledge are going to translate into improved readiness for day one of fellowship. The, You know, some of the other things that we looked at were uh, trainee confidence. And so this uh, was one of our metrics to see whether we were addressing trainee anxiety, um, the, the angst that comes with starting fellowship and perhaps not feeling comfortable with uh, whether it's certain skills that they might need on day one versus um also kind of cognitive some of the cognitive load that comes with being a critical care pulmonary and critical care fellow uh, and you know across the spectrum of uh in 12 different uh, domains we saw improvement in, in trainee confidence uh as uh, uh, you know reflecting lower anxiety levels for our trainees and so just giving them that exposure i think is uh, to, to things that they're commonly going to encounter in fellowship has been a really you know important way of uh, of getting uh, trainees ready for, for day one. Uh, and then, you know, finally, we also looked at uh, just general assessments of of uh, uh, how happy trainees were with the content being delivered in boot camp. And um, that really, those results really reflected what we've been hearing from trainees for a long time Was that, you know, people really enjoy the boot camp experience, whether it's our trainees or, or our educators. Um, you know, a lot of people were saying that's the reason they come to the national conference is to, the seed friends every year at, at the bootcamp and and to reconnect, um, and so that you know that that also while uh, it really kind of reinforces that there's there's a lot of value from a networking standpoint for, for from this. I think the other thing that reflects that is that we have plenty of attendees over the years who are now coming back as fellows to educate the educators as well as you know some of the faculty, uh, some of the early st- early stage faculty are now joining in who had been bootcamp attendees, particularly in the early years. So it's really exciting to see this longitudinal growth of kind of the bootcamp family uh, that, uh, uh, you know, we hope to continue for years to come.
1: Yeah, that's, that's all incredibly heartwarming from the, that, that kind of personal level, Um, as well as it's great to see things that, you know, the, the trainees really enjoy, you're, you're making a difference for them, you know, both in knowledge base, as well as their, their angst and anxiety heading into fellowship. So I think that's I think this is a you know incredibly important uh, endeavor that you guys are engaged in, um, and so you know I'll kind of ask both of you, but on the side of as you reflect back on all of these experiences with uh, the boot camp, either you know how do you look back at that in terms of the things that you've really done and and what have you really accomplished essentially with it? Is that a fair question to put out there for you two? <laughs> Sounds weighty and hefty. <laughs>
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love the joy that it brings to people. So I'm continuously in awe of the medical educators who are desperate for an invitation to come. And then when they get there and they're just so excited and they're like all over the equipment and the space and like talking to the co-educators and like when they're with their students, they're just like game on giving it like 110%. And it's just a joy to watch, to be like, people are willing to fly across the country, get up at like 4 a.m. their usual time, teach for 10 hours, you know, sleep while jet lagged, come back, teach for another 10 hours. And they're like, and then they come up and like, thank you at the end. They're like, thank you for inviting me to come and teach. And I'm like, really, we're giving you like $250 that pays for like one hotel night. (laughs) I I thank you, like, thank you so much. Uh, So I feel like that's one of the really cool things that I've experienced is just all of these educators who, Um, have enjoyed teaching and they just love it so much. And then as uh, Matt referred to, like all of these residents who I've run into and they're like, oh, I did the boot camp this year. I did it that year. I can't wait to come back or I am back. And just really seeing that they valued it. And um, even though we still haven't quite figured out, you know, how to measure value in that way to somebody attending, You know, it's just so clear in the way that they talk about it and they treat it that it is something special to them. Um, And then the ATS really experiencing how they just went all in on this and they committed to doing it, even though it cost them, you know, thousands of dollars every single year. And it was, you know, basically, you know, doing charity work, like, they were, you know, investing in the next generation of um, pulmonary critical care, sleep, you know, pediatric, adult, like all of these physicians. And they decided that this was worth it and that they wanted the ATS stamp on this and that they wanted to do this. And so that's just been really cool to see this giant organization. But you really get to see, like, you know, a window into their soul. It's like, yes, they do all this stuff. There's a lot of money stuff and like hard decisions. But, you know, at the heart, they want to do, you know, novel things. They want to do innovative things that are fun, that, you know, bring benefits to people of, you know, multiple levels. So, those are some of the benefits that I've sort of seen from my perspective.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really kind of coincided with, you know, the development of the boot camp has coincided with a, a really renewed uh, interest in developing the med ed community within the larger ATS, um, you know, uh, umbrella. And I think that's been, you know, that community is really, it, it's such a vital important uh, you know, vi- a vital importance, both to the ATS as well as to what, uh, you know, makes the boot camp tick. And so, you um, Yeah, it's uh, I just I think on all levels developing that community and perhaps it's just a reflection of the last year. We felt so distant from everybody that, uh, you you know, you realize how important that in person community is. Uh, And so I think, you know, on all levels, trainee educator and ATS as a whole is fostering that that level of community was such a big part of what what RBC is about.
1: Yeah, and um... It's amazing that the ATS took this on as as you're talking about, Laura, I can think about when it comes to hospital systems and um, even medical schools, you're typically talking about, well, what are the costs, how are we going to get to a business plan that, you know, makes it net even, you know, let alone investing for future, this seems to be a a, usually a, a foreign concept and for them to do that, I think is, you know, hats off to the ATS for that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I have to give specific shout outs because it really was like the presidents and the executive committee that were there in those first years. So Atul Malhotra, Monica Kraft, Patricia Finn, Tom Furfall, David gazal like they really did, like it came down to their decision. Like they had to decide, okay, we're gonna put the money towards this endeavor. So um, big shout outs to them.
1: No, fantastic. So as we're kind of finishing up, I just want to see like kind of what what the future holds for the bootcamp, you know, where do we move on from here? You kind of mentioned about, you know, the virtual setting. I'm just wondering about, are there other kind of components or other things that you're trying to incorporate into the program going forward?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, I think one of the interesting things is just uh, what the bootcamp is going to look like as we, you know, emerge from these pandemic times. I think, uh, as Laura alluded to earlier, the, the, the rise and development of our virtual boot camp and really, you know, the full push in developing out that curriculum this year, um, you know, that that virtual element is not going away. It's not going to replace the in-person boot camp and we can do that again. But really thinking about how we pair, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the high-fidelity hands-on elements of our in-person boot camp with more longitudinal curriculum that the virtual boot camp is going to be uh, able to provide, um, you know, I, I think there's just a lot of opportunity for us to, to continue to develop that uh, in the coming, you know, year or two as we as we open back up. So I think, you know, that's that's one of the things I'm most uh, excited about is just the opportunities and, and kind of really the, the the challenges the pandemic have, you know, imposed on us, uh, I think are also going to lead to a lot of creativity in how we develop it. Laura, do you agree?
2: I absolutely agree. I feel like, you um... It's been fun to see people be like, okay, this is what the boot camp was. Like, we have to redesign it. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the best way to do that? Let's put all our heads together. Let's think, you know, how can we deliver this med ed content in the best way? And so again, it just comes back to that organic nature of the bootcamp, like trying to take ideas, you know, and we immediately get feedback from the um, participants, the faculty and the fellows teachers, like doing a debrief after every virtual bootcamp session. to so again, be like, okay, did this work? What would you change next time? And so, yes, I, it keeps growing and changing and it'll look different next year. And we're proud of that fact. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and some, and sometimes these things like the pandemic can really be the spark to rejuvenate or, or to rethink programs. I remember when we had Hurricane Sandy and all of our, our hospitals closed, we had to recreate our fellowship and really think quite long and hard about a lot of our rotations and and see which ones worked and how to change things. And so uh, I think these types of of kind of things that push on you know uh, innovation is are fantastic.
2: And I think just to Circle back to that point is that this has been designed to evolve from the very inception. And so that's actually one of the reasons that we set up the leadership in the way that we did so that the chair would change every two years. A, because it's actually a ton of work <laughs> and get pretty burned out after two years. Uh, but B, you know, when you have a different leader. Uh, then that gives them a little bit more uh, leeway to change and evolve it without feeling like, well, these four people who came before me were amazing and they wanted to stay the same, like, so we should keep it the same. So that's actually been one of the things that we've always wanted it to be nimble and to evolve with modern medical education because we're all learning a lot about how you know, different learners learn. And so it's been really great to see, you know, new educators involved in the development each year and that that really, you know, adds to um, how it's evolved
0: and improved.
1: Fantastic. Matt, any parting words?
0: Uh, just uh, an incredible thanks, uh, you know, uh, both to you for having us on today, but also to, you know, our, our, our co-authors on the, on the manuscript, uh, you know, the originators, Jen McAllister, Trish Critic, and of course, you, Laura, really got this thing off the ground in 2014. Um, I joined the show, I think, around 2017-ish, so I, uh, you know, and I I appreciate everything you've done incorporating me into that team, and, you know, then I also would uh, definitely want to give a shout out to the Boots on the Ground folks at ATS. That's Lauren Lynch, Jen S.G., and Eileen Larson really have spent countless hours, uh, blood, sweat, and tears, making sure that this works. They're a critical link in making all this come together and we couldn't do it without them. And so I want to make sure that we give a big shout out to them for, for all their efforts.
2: And they really picked it up and ran with it and are probably the ones that convinced the executive committee to fund it and do it. I'm pretty sure there was some arm twisting and candy giving to like push along, but I completely agree with Matt, Lauren Lynch and Eileen Larson in particular. Um, This is their baby and uh, they've just done so much for it. So they're awesome.
1: Fantastic. Candy works. You heard it here. (laughs) All right. Matt and Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss uh, this National Academic Boot Camp with our listeners. And for those podcast listeners, Dr. Drake and Dr. Karadi Alexander's article on development of a National Academic Boot Camp to Improve Fellowship Readiness is available on the ATS Scholar website at atsjournals.org. Otherwise, stay tuned for more scholarly podcasts coming soon. And don't forget to subscribe to Scholarly on iTunes, Google Play, or whichever podcast player you prefer. Bye now.